Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It's Friday, June 23rd, 2023 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. A former FBI official named Kendra Kingsbury was sentenced to four years in prison earlier this week for taking classified documents and keeping them in her suburban Kansas City home. Why? No one really knows. I think we should get back to that in a second. But why do we care? Well, MSNBC's Morning Joe articulated that answer quite clearly. A judge handed down the sentence to Kendra Kingsbury yesterday after she pleaded guilty to two counts of unlawfully retaining documents related to national defense. She took hundreds of classified documents, just like Trump, took them home, just like Trump, many containing intelligence sources and methods tied to the government's counterintelligence uh, efforts. Just like Trump. Unlike Trump's case, though, she was not accused of showing that classified material to anybody else. So hers wasn't really as serious as Donald Trump's. Just like Trump. Of course, when the Kingsbury case first surfaced, Megyn Kelly pointed to it and drew a parallel of her own. See what's going to happen to Kendra? That's what should happen to Trump, right? Her case looks an awful lot like Joe Biden's, too. Just like Biden. Can we stop? There are similarities. There are documents in a home. There are some differences. Trump was charged with retaining 31 documents. Could have been charged with some more, but Kingsbury, according to the government, quote, improperly removed and unlawfully and willfully retained approximately 386 classified documents in her personal residence, which is, by the way, smaller than Mar-a-Lago. As Joe Scarborough says, Trump allegedly showed off some of those documents and Kendra didn't, but she did call the subject of FBI investigations... To what end? Again, no one knows. Seems kind of serious. Now remember Christian Saucier? He was the former sailor who got a short jail sentence for photographing a nuclear sub against orders, against the rules, against the law. He was a subject on Fox News more than 80 times. Here he is on the Fox Business Channel. What's the issue here is that the punishment isn't doled out evenly across the board. You know, you have people like Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, and Huma Abedin who've committed far more egregious acts. You know, I'm not trying to minimize what I did. I made a mistake. But the photos I took were of confidential, which is the lowest tier of classification. In actuality, the lowest level of enlisted man and highest level of civilian officials actually have different rules applied to them by rule, by design, and by law, because their circumstances are different. Kendra Kingsbury and Joe Biden's situation are different from each other, and they're both different from the Trump situation. What are we doing here? Do we really need a real-life example proving that illegally handling and retaining documents is illegal? We actually know that people do go to jail for that. We don't need to be pointed to the people who went to jail for that to prove that people go to jail for that. There is no question that the act is illegal. When the right finds a guy who did the same things as Hillary Clinton, they say they're wrong and unhelpful since the circumstances are different. When the left finds an FBI agent with hundreds of documents, it doesn't really shed that much light on Donald Trump's specific circumstances. We know these are crimes. We know they ran afoul of the law. That's why they're being adjudicated in court. 
This isn't a question of like, hey, do mammals lay eggs? Well, check it out. Here's a platypus. I guess that shows that mammals can lay eggs. There's no similar question. Is illegally retaining documents really illegal? There's no platypus to produce in this situation. The question is, do Donald Trump's acts fit the definition of the crime? And if so, what's the sentence? Kendra Kingsbury is clearly dead. She's going to prison for 46 months. I think the bigger question is, why did she do it? Prosecutors don't really know. Don't you think it's important to figure out? Some of the same forces saying, you know, illegally retaining documents is serious, puts all our security at risk. Look at the Kendrick Kingsbury story and say, oh, what is the serious crime in the name of security? What is the risk? I don't know. Well, why is it important that you're talking about her? Oh, because she's just like Trump. Maybe the greatest similarity is actually what ultimately befell Christian Saucier. He was pardoned by Donald Trump. The press strategy worked. The importance of arguing your case in the media bested whatever sentence the legal system could impose. Donald Trump is clearly buying that parallel. On the show today, a Senate hearing on transgender rights and care where each party ignored the parts of the issue they didn't want to grapple with. But first, Congress has been a little bit freaky as of late. No, not the hearings, not the censure votes, more like the breakdowns over stoves and pistol braces, the fracturing all inside the Republican Party. Semaphore's Kadia Gobia is here to answer the unanswerable. What the hell's going on? Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morf. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Congress has been in session for about seven weeks. They've gotten a lot done. They've elected a speaker. They fought with each other. They tried to censure some members that didn't go well. They fought with each other some more. They denied themselves. If we're talking about the Republicans, the vote, they gave themselves some more vote. They fought with each other some more. I mean, this is, this is a lot of activity. Now, as a professional interviewer, I task myself with coming up with better questions usually than what the hell is going on. But when that question presents itself so cleanly and plainly, I must ask it. And now I must ask it to someone expertly positioned to answer it. Kadia Goba is a political reporter for Semaphore. Kadia, welcome to The Gist. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. What the hell is going on? <laughs> Everything and then a little bit of nothing. Yes, that's right. That's exactly. They, they whip themselves into a frenzy in order to do nothing. Can we go back a couple weeks? There were a couple of um, votes or non-votes that I think showed that the Republican caucus was pretty fractured. Tell me about how that stove debate went down and what it meant. Sure. So this was um, essentially Congress or Republicans, I should say, pushing about, pushing back against the notion that the country or state by state would ban the the use of stoves. It was something they've been talking about since last year, and they managed to get it on the floor. Everyone was very excited about it. Lobbyists and activists were pumping their fists about it, conservative ones. And then the bill failed. Before they got to the bill, the rules, which is a procedural 
task that Congress has to do to actually get a bill on the floor. Uh, 11 members of the House Freedom Caucus just essentially voted against it. So they could not bring the bill to the floor. Now, this is a huge mess up because it is a direct confrontation on the uh, the speaker uh, suggests that the right flank of the party or the or, or the conference can just like do what they want, run amok. And that's exact. That's essentially what happened. But just to explain it, this is something Republicans wanted. Republicans want to emphasize. I mean, the Democrats say things like and some Republicans say they're coming for your stoves. Republicans say, no, there are plans to eliminate new gas stove hookups and we want to thwart those plans. But Republicans want it. But it was Republicans that stopped most of the other Republicans from getting this issue heard or at least legislated upon. At first, it made no sense to me, but uh, I think you can explain it a little bit. It's like punishing. It's the right flank punishing everyone else. I'd say they it was sort of a little a bit of retribution. Some people were just like totally pissed off about the fact that the debt limit, which happened a week prior to that, was able to get through with who? A bunch of Democrats helping to push it along the lines. Well, the right flank of the Republican Party just did not appreciate it. And they made a big fuss at the beginning of the year to make sure that they controlled it and that Republicans were the sole majority that's getting legislation passed. Well, it didn't live up to their expectations, so they didn't want it to pass. I'm talking about the right flank. So, um, it was a little more moderate, so they got uh, Republicans got moderates on board, and then they got the rest, a bunch of Democrats to pass it. So they passed this debt limit package. The right flank of the uh, party isn't happy, and then there was this little twist. Initially, they said that they were pushing back because they weren't happy about the debt limit, but because there was a bill that didn't come to the floor, and it's a bill about pistol braces. So they kind of threw that in the mix, uh, and it, it was just, it, 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 it stalled the House. Like, it shut down the House. Yeah, so that that's the point. It wasn't just right. It wasn't just that these let's call them radical or anti debt limit Republicans. And actually, let's not call them radical. That's that's a historic reference to people who were on the right side of history. But this flank of the Republican Party not only was punishing everyone else and the other well the other Republicans by the gas stove bill, they shut down essentially shut down Congress for a while over this, right? They shut down Congress, could not push the vote forward, specifically that gas stove vote, would not get on board, um, had several meetings with McCarthy. And it all of a sudden, this was happening on like a Tuesday, all of a sudden it was Thursday and McCarthy was a Wednesday, actually. McCarthy was announcing that the House was going home, which, you know, just signaled to most reporters on the Hill that they couldn't come up with an agreement where they satisfied this part portion of the party and was able to get the stove bill across the line. Right. And so that portion of the party said, uh, so McCarthy said, all right, what do you want? What can I do? And that portion of the party said or decided on, or you tell me, was this always the plan? We want this vote on pistol, pistol braces. That's what, that's what their ask was. Yeah, they br- they bring the vote on pistol braces, but there's still negotiations going on. I got to tell you, like they are still talking about it. The ironic part about all of this is the pistol brace uh, measure got to the Senate and failed this week. So that's just like a whole other. Well, the ironic part of all this 
even gas stoves, which is going to pass, was going to get vetoed by Biden. They weren't clamoring for anything that was actually going to become a law, as far as I could tell. No, that's a good point. These are messaging bills. So you figure, why go through all of this for messaging bills that are just going to die in the Senate? Well, this portion of the party feels that it's necessary. And if it's a matter of either moving the Speaker of the House more right or letting the entire conference knows that they have (laughs) control with such a very slim margin, then that's what they're doing and taking advantage of it. Another sign of this, um, the that there is not not all is well within the Republican caucus, and sometimes Republicans are fractured. I mean, we don't need too much evidence. We saw how McCarthy was elected. There was this Adam Schiff censure vote, and many Republicans, including weirdly, well, maybe not weirdly, but including some Republicans who were uh, like Thomas Massey, who were very much against uh, the debt limit, some Republicans defected and said, "No, we can't." censure Adam Schiff. Should I see that? Should we see that in the context of the overall Republican fracturing story we've been talking about? No, let me tell you how, what happened there. Many Republicans were a little upset about the, I think it was a $16 million fine that they were imposing on Schiff with the censure, and they just thought it set a very bad precedent. So it, they took it back to rules um, and brought it back to the floor and eventually passed it. The Republicans that voted for Well, except for Ken Buck, but the Republicans that voted present were people who are on the ethics committee and they find it as a conflict of interest, uh, like, you know, voting on censures or anything that would put them in a, a bad position or or signal that they are biased at all. But they eventually made the agreement. And um, once they took that that measure of six fining <laughs> um, shift, 16 million dollars, they, they they were able to get uh, Republicans on board. OK, so what are Republicans trying to actually achieve bills that they think that they can pass and maybe would even pass the Senate? So that's a great question. Usually when you have a split Congress, and by split I mean when Republicans or Democrats are in the majority in the House and then there's a different party in the majority of the Senate, you try at least to get across some bipartisan bills, but your main focus is going to be messaging bills. Those messaging bills signal to your base and your voters, hey, this is what I did. I know the Senate didn't take it up because they're a different party, but hey, this is what I accomplished for my base. That is why it was such a tenuous situation when they (laughs) uh, bombarded or just blew up their own messaging bill. So those are things like, like you said, the gas stove bill or anything that would be or clawing back um, some kind of measure that Democrats did in the previous party or H.R. 1, which I think is escaping me now. But these are conservative values that they want to message to the base. Now, what we probably can look forward to is maybe some stuff around AI, maybe some stuff around China, because the entire uh, body seems to be on one page with regards to those measures. With both bodies or there being more of a consensus on things with China and AI, will those bills have a particularly conservative flavor, do you think? Are there portions of it that they're going to get through above the objection of Democrats? I mean, again, the fractured, uh, well, I shouldn't say fractured, but uh, split, uh, split Congress, right? So I think... 
when that is the case, they have the opportunity to bring it just in the middle as much as possible. Yes. Will the right flank, will House Republicans push to get the most far far right on some of these bills? Absolutely. Now, it's just going to be up to the Senate to bring it sort of to the middle. So I guess you would say middle or middle, middle to the right. I, I guess that's a good, I, I guess that's a good analysis. Yeah. Another major point of uh, or uh, direction of Republicans control of the House and Democrats did this, too, is they have the kind of hearings they want to hear. They put uh, people on the hot seat who they feel should be. And then we could debate who actually sees those clips and if it has any effect. But sometimes it does. And it seems now to me as an outsider that James Comer, who's the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, has been really focused on getting... Christopher Ray to give up some information that Comer says shows uh, that Joe Biden and maybe his son might have been involved in some bribery or something like that. Where does that stand? From what you can tell, is Ray cooperating to the extent that a reasonable person would say, well, that seems to be enough. Is Comer looking for a fight and asking Ray to give over secrets that he couldn't possibly give over? What's the, what's an update on that? Some of the battle surrounds about exposing whistleblower identities. Republicans pushed back hard when they felt they weren't getting enough access as members of the, uh, members of Congress, essentially, right? Because when they requested the documents that you're talking about that, you know, alleged some wrongdoing with um, Biden and Biden's family, they only gave access to the to Comer and the ranking member, Jamie Raskin. Well, that then they they fought. They were about to subpoena Christopher Ray, And then they ended up giving access to all the members on the committee, but they had to do it within the skiff, which is a, like a private room where you don't bring phones, you can't photograph anything. There are a bunch of other allegations right now of the uh, Ways and Means Committee, right? There was some, uh, there were some documents that were brought um, to their attention right now. So people are going, uh, that's, that's going to be front and center right now. I think we wrote about it in the um in our newsletter today, but basically they they're saying that there are Hunter Biden as you know settled on some tax issues. And what they're saying is that IRS agents actually recommended that he be uh charged as felonies and that he that somehow down the line that was ignored and I think you'll see going further more investigations into the Biden family. And but I mean, also, there's already an impeachment on the floor. I don't know if you know about that whole uh, situation that went on <laughs> this week. Um, there are a lot of impeachments. You have a guide to everyone the Republicans want to impeach. Yeah, I, I, I realized my colleagues probably didn't realize how many impeachment uh, resolutions were out there, but at least four members of Congress are trying to impeach Biden. Most of them are centered around um, uh, the, the border, but uh, one in particular focuses on access to documents. So this is going to be an ongoing thing. I think you'll see all throughout election time, I think you're going to see uh, Comer and oversight and homeland security at this point, and who knows, even ways and means, trying to put people on the stand, including Christopher Ray, 
to build evidence towards an impeachment. Christopher Ray also also has uh, impeachment articles that Marjorie Taylor Greene has introduced against him. So it is going to be a lot of there are going to be a lot of investigations. So far, has anything been unearthed that is legitimate or surprising or very possibly damaging to the interest of uh, the rivals of these Republicans? They are not confirmed at this point. I know it's, I mean, until the documents are, you know, available to the public or available to reporters, I cannot confirm. There's a lot of, there are a lot of things that center around whistleblowers, but there has been no hard evidence that says this was a wrongdoing. That's not to say that won't come up in the future, but as of now, there's a lot of speculation. There are a lot of uh, unnamed whistleblowers. Um, and um, redacted information that only certain people f- saw and only those people are actually testifying. So it's 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 very unclear whether we'll get to the bottom of this. But I can ima- I can assure you it's not going to stop. Not in the 118th Congress. Due to math, the Democrats can't get anything passed unless they get Republican buy in. But are they doing anything other than just playing defense? Are they achieving anything in this Congress? It's hard. It's it's really hard. I mean, I guess the best bet is to coalesce around those bipartisan measures that, you know, Republicans find attractive. They have been doing this. There's a thing called the discharge petition where you actually put a piece of paper, uh, an di- actual petition on the House floor, and then you just have people sign it. Doesn't matter, like you said, because of the math, how many Democrats they get to sign this paper. And they've been doing that around things like abortion. Um, I think this week they had one around abortion. They did it around the debt limit. It doesn't work. It's a way to get around. It's a a way for a majority of the members to bring something to the floor despite the wishes of, say, the majority leader. Yeah, the minority uh, of of the members to get something. Right. You got to have to get some Republican defections, but they've not been successful on that so far, have they? No, they haven't. I, I know their best bet was probably the debt limit. You would have had probably some New York uh, Republicans peeling off because they just don't want to go home and have to talk about that they sank or they defaulted on the debt. But, you know, there was a compromise. There was a deal. So that saved that day. But I don't see anything. I don't see them defecting and I don't see them getting any Republican, whether it's two, three, four or five people to sign into any of these debt limit positions. So petitions. So they're in a precarious as all people in the minority are, they probably won't get anything passed unless they have some kind of bipartisan measure. Kadia Goba is a political reporter for Semaphore, and she joined us to talk about, I think, answer, what the hell is going on? Thank you, Kadia. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And now the spiel, a dialogue of the deaf. My mott got mixed up with your Bailey. I'm not sure of the right analogy to describe it, but it is not good. Yesterday, a congressional hearing went nowhere, exemplifying, if that's not too exalted a term, the often pointless point scoring that passes for dialogue or progress in the American Senate or America as a whole. Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday had a hearing on one of the most contentious issues in America today, 
trans rights. To level set, some places in America have among the least restrictive protocols of any places in the world when it comes to gender care and minors. As a backlash, some places in America have passed extremely onerous restrictions getting between doctors and patients. Europe, meaning Sweden, Finland, Norway, places like that, are going about this much more cautiously. And in some cases, I'm thinking of the UK, they got to the much more cautious place after a lot of contentious societal back and forth. But there was no back and forth in the Senate. There was an attempt to back the other side up into a corner, the corner of a room so vast you couldn't see the other side. All right, here's the dynamic. In a hearing, each party gets to name some witnesses, usually proportional to the partisan breakdown of the committee. There were two Republican witnesses, a lawyer for the Alliance Defense of Freedom, who was barely engaged with, and a swimmer, former NCAA swimmer named Riley Gaines, who raced against Leah Thompson in an NCAA competition. For the Democrats, there was a doctor, Zamina Lopez, and the president of the advocacy organization Human Rights Watch, Kelly Robinson. There was also this girl, 16-year-old Harley Walker, who told the committee about transitioning in the state of Alabama. Despite being called a demon, a monster, or other despicable things, I love my life. I love my family, I love my friends, and I am happy. I'm asking for you to help us stop certain people from using the transgender community as a political pawn. Please stop attacking our lives for votes or money. These are human rights hanging in the balance. Help us communicate that they are impacting people's lives and our pursuit of happiness. We are just like your kid, just like your neighbor, and you. We also deserve the ability to be happy. Obviously, a well-spoken 16-year-old who faces unfair harassment is an extremely sympathetic figure, and therefore, quite as obviously, the Republicans did not engage with her at all. And the Democrats asked zero questions to Riley Gaines, who talked about sharing a locker room with an athlete whose gender identity is female and raced against females, but, as Riley found in the locker room, has male genitalia. Gaines tied for fifth place with Thomas, which Republican Ted Cruz asked about. And so you tied. What, what was the consequence of tying? We went behind the awards podium where typically you're handed your trophy, you're marched out, you're named an All-American. And so we go back there and the official looks at both Thomas and myself and says, great job, but you guys tied. And we only have one trophy, therefore we're giving this trophy to Leah. And I question this and I say, why? And at first, I I shortened it in my testimony, but really he stumbled on his words. He didn't know how to answer this. And at first he's, uh, well, we're just doing this in chronological order. To which I further pressed and I said, okay, well, what are you being chronological about? Because we tied. And if we're doing this off alphabetical order, G comes before T. So what are you being chronological about? To which this wasn't a script they had prepared for him. And he actually appreciated his honesty, he did say, we have to give the trophy for Leah because we, Leah has to have it for pictures. They've, they've made that clear. Leah has to have the trophy for pictures. You can pose with this trophy, but you have to give yours back. You have to go home empty-handed. Leah Thomas takes the trophy home. End of story. That seems unfair for sure. And that was the valence of the Republicans' argument. Fairness. Specifically, the fairness of girls playing sports. The valence of the Democrats' argument was hatred. Democrat Sheldon Whitehouse spoke for their position when he said, There's just no point being mean to these kids. They've got enough going on already. Democrats, to their witnesses, what kind of discrimination do trans kids face? 
Republicans to their witnesses, really just Riley Gaines. Tell me about the specific kind of obstacles you faced in the world of elite female swimming. But the Democrats in the hearing, which lasted over two hours, never once engaged with a Republican witness. The Republicans did engage with the two adults the Democrats put forward. Here is Lindsey Graham asking questions of Dr. Lopez. Do you believe that Leah Thomas had a, an advantage uh, in swimming because she was a biological male who transitioned sometime late in college? Later, Senator Josh Hawley was involved in a colloquy with Human Rights Watch's Kelly Robinson, and after that, Louisiana Senator John Kennedy tried his simple country lawyer shtick on her. Do I understand your position to be that there are two sexes, but there can be more than two genders? Um, I wouldn't even say two, and you know, we've got Dr. Lopez here as well, but there's also the definition of intersex. I think that often these conversations were conflating sex and gender, and I do want to affirm here that trans women are, are women. That is their gender. Okay. But, but I'm trying to understand, are you, do you make a distinction between sex and gender? Yes, sir. Okay. Explain that just... Do you think there are more than two sexes? Um, I believe that there's a, a definition for intersex as well that I want to acknowledge. Um, but sex is okay, a sign so of birth. Three, I'm and, just trying to understand. I'm thoroughly confused. Look, maybe it wasn't complete shtick. That question and that confusion certainly fairly characterizes the mindset of most Americans. Most Americans are not hateful. The majority of Americans, clear majority, say there should be protections against discrimination against transgender individuals. However, when it comes to children, a Washington Post-Kaiser Family Foundation poll conducted just a few months ago found that 58% of Americans oppose access to hormonal treatment for transgender kids age 15 to 17. Gallup published a poll last month which found that 69% of Americans say that transgender athletes should only be allowed to compete on sports teams that correspond with the sex they were assigned at birth. It is, obviously, politically, why Republicans are emphasizing that portion of this debate. It's the portion the public agrees with them most on. But it is far from the crux of the debate. And Democrats are not engaging at all in the sports part of the debate. Not in in the Senate, they weren't. In refusing to acknowledge or grapple with, I think, legitimate complaints about fairness, equality, and Title IX protection, Democrats are simply ignoring a big thorny issue, a hard-to-answer issue. So they don't answer it. And they can say, look, two or three Division I NCAA swimmers are hardly as important as tens of thousands of kids. But, you know, most Americans hear that and say, well, they're not nothing. It's not only two or three swimmers. In my school, in my school district, we're hearing about this. I don't know what we think about this. And I certainly don't know that I want to be called hateful just by thinking about this and worrying about the girls who have been playing sports for not that long in this country. Don't treat that as nothing because it's inconvenient to treat it as something. Some issues win because the framings around the issues are better. Some issues win just because one side has more votes and can steamroll the other side. Sometimes when that happens, you don't have to really engage with the other side's best arguments. I think a lot of gun control background checks arguments play out that way. But with this new argument, I say it's best to actually engage in the argument. 
It's very tempting not to do so. It's convenient to avoid the thorny parts. For Republicans, if they are actually more curious than malicious, they may wish to concentrate on the portions of their agenda that actually do protect girl athletes without going so far as to tie the hands of medical doctors. And for Democrats, I know they would love to see themselves purely as defenders of the vulnerable, but maybe they should acknowledge that not every victim is a trans girl. Ignoring parts of the issue, whistling past the swimming pool, as it were, is a good way to find yourself politically sunk. That's it for today's show. Corey War is the producer of The Gist, and Joel Patterson is the senior producer. Michelle Pesca is chief elocution consultant for Peachfish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Lipson's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to advertisecast.com slash the gist. And thanks everyone out there and in here for listening. Oomperu-deperu-deperu. Oomperu-deperu-deperu. Thank you.